Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Happy Sabbath. Okay, now it works. Well, I must say thank you all for praying. We're back live. We've been live since the second song of the praise set. And thank you, Dorina, and those of you who I know, I texted and I said, please pray. Please pray. This message needs to be heard because it is at the core of who we are as Seventh-day Adventists. It is at the core of who we are here at Middletown in the last year or so. So I'm so grateful that God still is in the business of answering prayers. He is. Mommy, said a little girl, right before bedtime. The mother was there with her to, to say the prayers before the little girl falls asleep. And she said, Mommy, I'm so lonely for my friend Jesus. When is he going to come? James 5 Verses 7 and 8. James says, Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Lord, I know it was a hopeful message for your disciples. And I know this will be a hopeful message for those of us living in 21st century America. That your coming is at hand. That we are about to end and to see the end of suffering and pain. And Lord, I pray that you will bless us with understanding. I pray that you will open our hearts and I pray that you will help us to realize that you are coming soon and that we can do something about it and it's not what we thought we are to do. Lord, thank you for providing a clear understanding for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James said, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How do we know the coming of the Lord is at hand? Well, if you open your Bibles with me to Matthew 24, Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3. This is Jesus speaking, and the setting is, They are on the Mount of Olives. Jesus has told them that he's going to go away. He's about to finish his, his ministry on earth. He talked with them about his coming back. And now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will, this sign, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then, Jesus says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end, or she who endures to the end, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Have you seen those images of what Jesus is talking about? Yes, I know. You have seen them on CNN, on Fox News, on any news media venue out there. John says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. My friends, we live in the time of the end. And you might say, Pastor Marius, what do you mean when you say we live in the time of the end? Here is what I mean and here is what Jesus is saying. The time of the end, as Jesus describes it in Matthew 24, is the time right before he comes back the second time. You may have heard preachers and teachers and evangelists preaching on these two concepts. The time of the end and the end of time. I know it sounds like I'm playing with words, but these two concepts are important to be understood. So let, let, let me present you with an illustration from my own life. True story. I hope this will help you understand the difference between time of the end and the end of time. So the story is my Thanksgiving turkey story. Yeah. When I grew up, I grew up in the country, and we raised different kinds of birds, chickens, I loved the most, and, and, and ducks, and we raised turkeys. And here is how a Thanksgiving turkey lifeline would be. Poor turkey, right? After hatching, it will live to grow for a few months to become an adult turkey. Then... Ten weeks prior to Thanksgiving, the turkey went on a special forced-fed diet 
where it will be fed extra food so that it will become big enough, large enough, fat enough to become the meal for happy Thanksgiving guests and relatives. Here's how I look at it. The ten weeks prior to Thanksgiving, this turkey entered the time of the end for his life. But the end of time, the end of his life, did not come until the day of Thanksgiving when it was slaughtered to become the meal. Do you get the difference? Jesus is speaking exactly the same concepts when he predicts what will happen before his coming. And the time of his coming, he's talking about the time of the end. There are many prophecies that speak about the second coming of Jesus. I don't have time this morning to deal with all of them. You can do it on your own. I'm going to stick only with the ones spoken by Jesus in the New Testament. Um, we're going to stay with his word. There are four types. There are four types of signs that Jesus predicted will happen right before he comes back the second time during the time of the end. There will be signs in the natural world. There will be decay in moral in, mor in, in moral and immoral life, in, in the, like, just like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, there will be signs in the political world, and there will be signs in the religious world. The synoptic gospels, the three gospels that include similar stories from the life of Jesus, uh, they, uh, with similar wording, almost similar, almost same wording, they all have Jesus speaking of the time of the end and the end of time. So Jesus' words are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So if you want to see these events, you go to Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Signs in the natural world. Jesus said, Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says in Luke 21, 25, 26, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken." Do you remember the eclipse of August 21, 2017? <laughs> On Monday, August 21, 2017, all of North America was able to experience an eclipse of the sun. Anyone within the path, or called the totality, the path of totality, was able to see the nature's most awe-inspiring light sights, a total solar eclipse. And I know I was able to see, you know, when you were on that path of total eclipse, anywhere from Salem, Oregon to Charleston, South Carolina, you were able to see the corona. Have you ever to see that? I was able to see it. That was awesome. Another time in recorded history of a total darkness was on May 19, 1780. Recalling this event, Timothy Dwight, president of Yale University, said, 
The 19th of May, 1780, was a remarkable day. Candles were lighted in many houses. The birds were silent and disappeared, and the fowls retired to roost. And every general, uh, a very general opinion prevailed that the day of judgment was at hand. In Samuel's Tinney's opinion, the darkness of the following evening was probably as gross as ever, ever been observed. At nine that night, a full moon rose that was following the eclipse of 1780. The next night, he said that night, at nine, a full moon rose, but the darkness persisted after midnight. When moon became visible, it had the appearance of blood. So Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. In Matthew 24, 29, Jesus says, The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The great meteoric shower of November 13, 1833, which was the most extensive display of falling stars on record, fulfilled this prophecy. In fact, yeah, you can Google it now. Everybody can Google these dates that I'm speaking about, and you can see pictures. On that day of November 13, 1833, uh, uh, it was estimated that a single observer, with your own eyes, you could, ob you could observe an average of 60,000 meteors per hour. Wow, that's impressive. And Jesus says there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places, Matthew 24, 7. Famines are commonplace today. Two-thirds, did you know that two-thirds of all the children born into our world are born in countries that can't supply for their food needs? Millions of people die of hunger, of hunger each year. It's estimated that a person dies of hunger or hunger-related causes every 10 seconds. Sadly, children are the ones who die most. Pestilences. Do we even need to mention pestilences, right? We have just experienced the most unprecedented breakout of uncontrollable destruction and disturbance of human life in recorded history. COVID pandemic, right? COVID-19 pandemic. I know some of us don't even want to hear those words, COVID-19, right? I don't either. Yet they were our reality and our challenge for the last year or so. So Jesus says there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes Frequency and intensity of earthquakes. You can Google that for yourself and you can see it. Fox News reported that parts of Oklahoma now match Northern California for the nation's most shake-prone area. That is mostly concentrated in Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Kansas, Colorado, and Arkansas. Natural earthquake risk, they also say, increased around the New Madrid fault in Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Illinois. Kentucky? Oh, <laughs> I don't like that news. If you Google the intensity of earthquake in re uh, recorded history, 
you will find a good amount of graphs indicating the increased number of earthquakes. All you need to do is just Google that and you'll see how they increase. It's, it's obvious. The frequency and intensity of strong storms. All of this. Natural disasters. Signs. Jesus says also there will be signs in people's morality. The AIDS epidemic. You know, no one talks about it no more, right? We kind of become, we become immune of the signs of Jesus' return. The opioid epidemic, increase of addictive compulsive behavior in population, crime on the rise, Louisville shootings. Oh my, I don't want to even tell you what I witnessed in the ER at the Northern Children's Hospital downtown Louisville. And what really bothers me is when children are caught in a crossfire. I saw it with my own eyes, the, the outcome of it. As a nation, too, we are leading by far margin as the most crime-based society. I know the Olympics are going on. If we were to, if there was an Olympics of violence, we would win all gold medals. United States dominates the ranking as the most violent crime-based society in the world. Wow. Sexual revolution. Total confusion. Gender fluidity. And the Bible says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Any psychologist will tell you that lust kills love. And this moral decay infiltrates and influences and impacts more and more the political world. Jesus predicted there will be signs in the political world. Words. Political corruption everywhere. There is no place or country. There is no government that we now can call up or look up to. No, not one. All are corrupt following their fleshly, selfish desires. I can spend time to show you how we can blow ourselves up. But I'm not going to do it since I don't have time for that this morning. If you want to do it yourself, to read more about this, read Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, and go then watch the news. You'll get it. It's simple. It's obvious. There are signs in the political world, and there are signs in the religious world. I don't know how many of you go to a bookstore frequently. I used to go. I haven't done this lately with this pandemic. I used to go to Barnes & Noble to read car magazines because I love cars. And I'm frugal enough not to buy them, but I like to read them there and then leave it on the shelf. So when you look in a store at the New Age section, and I've been doing this ever since I came to U.S. It was, it was my habit. Um, when you look at the New Age section, I lived in U.S. for almost 30 years. And I can tell you first-hand experience, 
just my observation, that section, the new age section, has expanded and expanded and expanded, became larger and larger. There is an increased interest in spiritualism. Psychic phenomena and astrology has exploded in the recent years. Jesus speaks about that. There will be signs in the religious world. False revivals and declining religious freedom. There is out there. You may say, Pastor Marius, why do I need to know these things? And why do I need to know about the signs about the time of the end and the end of time? Can I not just live my life? Because I don't have any control over these things. Can I just be a good Christian? I tell you what, you're right. These things will not save you. The knowledge of these things will not save you. No, Jesus saves you. But if you don't know or ignore these things, you can get confused and lost. You will get deceived. So this knowledge will not save you, but ignoring it can get you confused and even lost. As I said, there is a lot of confusion out there. Everybody these days can write a book and publish it. You don't have to be reviewed. Everybody these days can write an article and publish it. You don't have to be reviewed. Everybody can make up a website. Wikipedia. Folks, Wikipedia is not peer-reviewed. It's just personal opinions. There is confusion infiltrating in the Seventh-day Adventist churches regarding some of these signs. See, when his disciples came to him and asked how it will be in the time of the end, right before his coming, here is how Jesus responded to that question, Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, first thing that he said to them, and he's saying to you and me today, take heed that no one deceives you. And James says, establish your hearts, referring to the minds. How can, we, how can we establish our hearts, our minds today, so that we will not get deceived, but rather be ready for Jesus when He comes? James 5, 7 says, Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So how can you, how can you establish your hearts? He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain? James says we ought to wait patiently for the early and latter rain, the angels, the agents of growing to become mature for ripening, for the crop to be ready and to be harvested. As Christians, we understand that the early rain and the latter rain are symbols of what? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God on God's people to prepare them to get ready for His return. 
In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus presented what will happen before he comes. Jesus was about to end his mission on earth. He was about to go to the cross and then go to heaven. He already told his disciples that he's going to leave this planet, but he's going to return. He's going to come back in glory and majesty as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will take them with him to be with him in, in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'll come again. Remember John 14, 1 to 4. Two, two, three. So Jesus and the disciples says, tell us, when will this be? Jesus, my friends, did not tell them a date. He gave them a time frame, frame a context of history when his second coming will happen. He gave them a list of signs that will happen. So when they see these signs, they will recognize he is about to return. And Jesus gave them the signs in the world and signs in the church. In Matthew 24, Jesus presents the state of the world before he comes. And we just looked at it. In Matthew 25, Jesus presents the state of the church before he comes. We looked at Matthew 24 and saw the state of the world before he comes. And we know that there will be signs in the natural world, in, in morality, in, 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 uh, <clears throat> in political world, and in a religious world. Then in Matthew 25, Jesus describes the church before he comes. Matthew 25, he begins presenting the state of the church with the parable of the ten virgins. If you open your Bibles to Matthew 25, verse, beginning with verse 1, I will read it. Then the, king of heaven, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, Jesus said, verse 11, Matthew 25, 11, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. With this parable, Jesus is presenting the reality of the church condition right before he comes. 
And he sadly concludes with a statement addressed to one group of people, the people in the church. He says, I do not know you. My friends, brothers and sisters, YouTube viewers, I have a question for you today. Does the bridegroom know you? Does he know you? Does the bridegroom know Marius? Put your name. Does the bridegroom know you? What is the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins? They all went to meet the bridegroom, right? They all took their lambs, right? They all had oil initially. They all had some oil because their lambs were burning. The problem? They did not have the extra or the reserve oil. In verse 5, something happens to all of them. What is it? What happens to all of them? Verse 5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. How many slept? All. Now, the sad part of the story is the end of the parable. See, this, this is not a story with a happy ending. At least not for half of them. Five of them did not make it to the wedding of the bridegroom, though they were invited. What is the reason they didn't make it? We know the bridegroom said to them, I don't know you. What made the difference? The oil, right? The extra oil. So, when Jesus speaks in parables, he uses coded symbolic language to illustrate and teach a spiritual lesson. In this parable, there are symbols that represent either items or persons from real life. Ten virgins represent what? God's people, His church. They are ten because that's the number of representing the complete picture of character. The Ten Commandments depict the character of God. When we follow Ten Commandments, we reflect His character in the world and we give Him glory. So, the Ten Virgins represent God's people in the world before He comes. The Lambs represent the guided understanding of God's Word. All ten virgins had lambs, and their lambs had some oil in them originally, indicating when He created us, He created, in, created us in His own image, and by default we reflected His character, making a distinction between right and wrong. We can do that with the initial oil we have in us. Even to this day, we're born with a conscience that has the capability this capability, and we have some understanding of truth. But that's not enough. We need more than just the lamp, don't we? And then we have the bridegroom. 
bridegroom is Christ, the Messiah. It's Jesus. Now, something happened to all as they were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, right? They all fell asleep. So before Jesus comes, his church is asleep. Wow. That's a very short period of time. And this is what makes the coming of our Lord a surprise for all, like a thief in the night, as, described, as Jesus describes it. But listen to me. Before they all fell asleep, five of them, 50% of God's people made an important decision. They made sure they had extra oil. What is oil? Oil represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is what gives light. It is what guides us and what works through the lamp. You got to have the lamp and the oil in order to see clearly. You got to study the Bible and have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You got to have the infilling of the Spirit in order to make it to the wedding of the bridegroom. Oil is the Holy Spirit. The wise virgins had the extra oil. They were not content with what they had in their lamps. They made sure they had extra oil with them. And there's a lot to talk about this. We'll talk more about this on August 28. Since oil represents the Holy Spirit, my friends, we need the extra infilling of the Holy Spirit to make it to our bridegroom wedding, to Jesus' wedding. If you don't have it, the bridegroom will say, I don't know you. Remember that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us and we live in Him. We have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It's not casual, it's deep honest, sincere, real, and it proves to be vitally essential for our salvation. I can't speak this clear enough, loud enough for all to hear. The only way Jesus will say, I know you, because he knows Jesus in you. And you can't have Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Because he said, I will pray the Father and He will give you another comforter. He will give you another helper so that he, he, he may dwell in you. We ought to have the Holy Spirit. By the way, uh, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit will be the, the seal of God on us because the Holy Spirit will empower us to live the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are, are the seal of God on His people. You all go to grocery stores and look for healthy foods, right? Barbara and Yvonne will have a cooking class. You know, when you go to, to, to look for, for good foods, some of them are certified organic, right? They have that stamp, certified organic. Imagine you have the God Spirit in you. You know what that is? It is certified God's child. That's it. Jesus lives through you. You are spirit-filled and you are sealed for heaven. 
Pastor Dennis Smith writes this in the Baptism of the Holy Spirit book, page 47. Those who receive this mark have experienced the law of God in their hearts, and the things in the world are repulsive to them. You ask how you can live in the world these days? That's how you can live it, my friends. Ellen White says this, The baptism of the Holy Spirit as the day of the Pentecost will lead to a revival of true religion and to the performance of many wonderful works. The great sin of those who profess to be Christians, listen, The great sin of those who profess to be Christians is that they do not open their heart to receive the Holy Spirit. My friends, we saw the state of the world before Jesus is coming in Matthew 24. It is the time of the end. We live in it. There is nothing major that that can really happen before Jesus is coming. In the world, if you look at Daniel 2, if you look at Matthew 24, we're in it. We're in the time of the end. No question about it. The state of the world, the natural disasters, famines, diseases, earthquake, wars, social, racial, and political unrest, they all scream at us, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus also said that Just being in the church every weekend will not save you. You can be in the church and Jesus can still say, I don't know you. There is a condition, however, that makes all the difference. You and I must be filled with the Holy Spirit today and commit daily, daily ask for a fresh amount of oil. If you want to begin a life living in the Spirit, we have already an army of people here, about 40 or so, who have already committed and lived their lives filled in the Spirit in the last year. And uh, on August 28th, we'll have a special Sabbath of consecration and dedication and testimonials of how the Holy Spirit can transform lives. So mark that on your calendar and invite your friends, your church friends, to be here that Sabbath. We'll have guest speakers, we'll have different people, myself, and we'll have a lot of us, about 40 of us here at Middletown, who have lived in the Spirit for the last year and will share from their heart. You don't want to miss it. And if you like to join us in the Holy Spirit small groups, that Sabbath will start small groups again. If you want to join us, see me after the service. And I'll put your name down. We'll connect you with a group. We'll like all of you. My friends, I don't want any of you to hear the words, I don't know you. I want all of you to hear the words, come. You blessed of my Father, enter into the kingdom of God. This is the time for you and for me to get the extra oil so that when Jesus comes, he will know all of us. Amen.